Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Caps Podcast. So much David here with Kieran Murphy and Ken Early. Hi guys. Hello How there. Are you? No grand slam. I'm pretty good. Well, I'm pretty good. No grand slam for Ireland after a crushing defeat for Wales. So that's not great. But I uh, pinpointed the reason for the defeat. I'll, I'll ask you guys first. Murph, why do you think Ireland lost? Oh, well, we just uh, line out malfunctions at battle times on. Ken? I think the rooking situation at times could have been uh, no. improved. No, you're, you're, you're getting too technical here. That's the, uh, the <laughs> way too technical there, Ken. <laughs> way too technical. The reason for the defeat, the reason we lost, was that the Welsh players all grew up refining their hand-eye coordination oh, yeah. by playing an indigenous sport called Canapin. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. It's a played with large numbers of people from two neighbouring parishes, Ken, hmm. and a solid wooden ball, probably a little larger than a cricket ball. The day before the game, the ball is soaked or boiled for at least 12 hours in oil, animal fat, or any other commonly available lubricant. This is done to make the ball more difficult to catch and hold on to, and to make play more un- unpredictable. The ball could be passed, smuggled, or thrown, for, or kicked up and under for considerable distances. The object of the game is to take the ball to the church of one's home parish using any means possible. Now, okay, I did take that from Wikipedia and introduce the present tense, where largely the past tense was actually used, it being a medieval game. But I have a feeling somewhere along the line, Lee Halfpenny has played a bit ah, of canapping. It's there, mm. though, isn't it? You know, it's, I mean, it's in the it's in the DNA. Mm. You know, it's a part. It's you know, it's a part of Welsh culture. You know, I mean, to be a true Welshman, you must first of all be proficient in uh, in canapping. So, I mean, I think that's uh, it, it's it's self evident, really. Smuggled is an interesting variation, isn't it? Mm. I mean, what does that mean? Under the, under the jumper? The, the ball somewhere in your... And everyone's going, where's the ball? Yeah. The irate crowds on either side are demanding to know where the ball is. And you, presumably, you've got the ball and you're sneaking sneaking to the, to the church. I mean, does that is that a way that you can actually win the game? It seems somewhat... Uh, to the Sounds like a mall, actually, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Sounds sound like a driving mall. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, again... Uh, in that way, in that way, Ireland actually beat Wales at their own game yeah. by earning that penalty try towards the end of the game. We managed to overcome centuries of Canapin 
uh, proficiency in, with that driving mall. I'm kind of glad the Gaelic football thing is dead now for at least well, another year. Well, interesting, but John Inverdale, even having watched our Gaelic football skills getting you know taken <laughs> apart, uh, was talking in the BBC on the BBC uh, run up to the England Scotland game. He goes, as the game of rugby football morphs more and more into Gaelic football. I was like, John, really? <laughs> Didn't we just see that rather? <laughs> Uh, ridiculous uh, 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 rationale yeah. get absolutely torn apart for the last two hours in Cardiff but obviously not I'm going to say it right mm. everybody seems to think that or a lot of people certainly seem to think that England are going to march to uh, an unassailable victory well we're the ones who have to put up an unassailable score or Wales first of all but that England are going to whatever score is put up England will know what. just by dint of knowing what they need to do it means England will get it done I'm not so sure I'd prefer to be playing the team who aren't very good, as in Scotland, than the team who are a reasonable amount better, as in France. Just reverse the fixtures and ask yourself, would you be really confident? England are playing Scotland at half two tomorrow in Murrayfield. Ireland are playing France in the Aviva at five o'clock. And we have to beat France by four points more than England than England have to beat Scotland. Scotland. I would not be confident. I would not be at all confident if I was in that situation. Careful now. You're sounding a little bit Neil Francis-y. <laughs> <laughs> you saw the Welsh well, 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 hold on, hold on. I did, I did. Hold on a well, what, why am I sounding like Neil Well, no, you know, you just, yeah. I, I suppose I've, I set you up for it, Murph, but then... Cocky Irish pundits. Yeah, cocky Irish pundits. We're going to score 40 points against Scotland. No, I'm just, well, all, I'm, I'm not, but who am I impugning? I'm, I'm not the, impugning. You're the Scots. No, right, you, you are. You, the you Scots, they deserve to be impugned. Oh, you don't even seem to to realise how... Oh, I impugned them all right, Ken. Yeah. And I'll do it again. What was a flagrant disrespect? I mean, to me, the, the team that... They've would, lost all four games. It looks as though we'd want... Yeah, but... Earn my respect, Scotland. They've lost all four games, but they're minus 25 on points, whereas Italy are minus, what, 77. They're the team we'd like to be playing. Mm. With, uh, with you know needing to needing to get a, a whole bunch of points, um, I wouldn't say England are the favourites. I'd say I'd say Wales are. They've got a lot of catching up to do. Mm, yeah, they're Wales though, and they're playing against Italy. And uh, if the power of knowing what you have to do is so great, two teams know what they have to do to beat Wales. Well, France, one I mean, France also know what they have to do. You Which know? is win a game. Well, I mean, win a game, whatever. But they know what they'd have to do to prevent England from winning the... I mean, that makes it interesting for them, I think. Yeah, it probably does. So, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the problem Ireland seem to have at the moment is they just don't score many points anymore. See that marginal line of a French defence, though? Zero points. Have you ever seen the like in international rugby? To hold a team to zero points. England have to break... Basically, have to break into Alcatraz. That's that's what I'm talking about here. The imagine French try line. Imagine a line when it's brought up is usually not a. Uh, <laughs> not, 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 Listen, it was good for. It's like a flawed form. It was of good defense. for a while, wasn't it? Uh, it hung out for. Oh, well, how long was the war? It held out for over a year. I would have thought. Um, yeah, I thought I wasn't really involved at any point. I suppose. Oh the, yeah, hopefully Scot- Scottish pundits don't because there is going to be a lot of talk about how much we're going to win by. That's all. That, that's the only way we can win a championship. Hopefully they aren't quite as thin skinned as our friends over. In Wales, Arca. not since the glory days of Ken Burley have they been so riled by an Irish pundit. Neil Francis had said, Neil Francis had actually dredged up a quote from a previous article that he wrote before the Six Nations, had put it on his independent column last week uh, to the effect that Warren Gatland has the intellectual capacity of a tub of 
What was flora. it? Flora. A tub of flora, yeah. So this was seen as <laughs> okay, okay, it's not it's not very complimentary. But for some reason this was seen as the entire Irish country attacking Wales and saying we're gonna come over and slaughter them. Funny enough, if you read that whole Neil Francis article, he said Wales were gonna win as long as Wales did certain things. But at uh, the Western Mail, the front page of the Western Mail, Monday morning memo to cocky Irish pundits. And there's a picture here of a few slices of bread about to be buttered. A cup of uh, what looks like, could be a latte there. Probably tea, is it? No, I don't think it's tea. It looks like it's, it's like some sort of a coffee. Okay. Uh, with a tub of flora, inscribing which is Wales 23, Ireland 16. We won. Spread the word. Says <laughs> The Irish fans I spoke to found Francis's comments an embarrassment. They weren't too impressed with Keith, Keith Wood's complacent predictions of a comfortable victory either. The margarine barb was pathetic. We can't believe you're not better. Somebody hits out at the, somebody's stunning verdict. We can't there. believe you're not better is quite good. That's the only part of that entire scenario that I actually said, right, okay, well, there's a bit of imagination. I mean, it's, it kind of doesn't really work when Irish people are saying, well, you know, it was just one guy and he did write this five weeks ago. And the Welsh are saying, well, you know, it's only one guy, but I mean, you know, it's still, you still said it. And so we're still going to put it on the front page of our newspaper. I mean, I don't really, there's, there's a lot of, Full indignation here on all sides. Well, Brent, yeah, exactly, yeah. Brent Pope was saying in his pre-match words and afterwards as well that he felt that over in Wales there was a feeling that Ireland were going to rock up and just win the game. That Ireland were talking big, have talked the talk and now had to walk the walk. But the Irish players said nothing. They haven't said anything interesting in about a year away from, uh, certainly in camp, anytime they're interviewed uh, in and around games. They never give anything away. So whether... It's us. It's, it's, it's all the... It's the Irish people, not the players. They're... They're guiltless. It's the Irish people. Mm-hmm. We're worse than we're the worst in the world. At what? Uh, at Remember, this is a big, this is St. Patrick's weekend, a time bl- where we're all proud to be Irish. Bluster uh, and uh, you know, sort of arrogance and unjustified confidence. I'd we are blarney. <laughs> we do slip into the oh, the blarney begins to take over our brains. Um, you know, we're we're <laughs> shamrock on the brain. There's always this. There's this long-standing thing in Ireland, which is actually a myth, and it's it's you know to do with uh, it's it's the reason that a lot of people give for why they refuse to ref- <laughs> refuse to do anything other than cheer every goal that the English national team concedes, which is because the English, are sure you know it's nothing it's nothing against the English, but I just can't bear the way their press goes on. We'll never hear the end of this if they ever... And we're the worst in the world for that. I'd say we're... There are many nations as bad as us. Ah, uh, we're, we're, we're the worst. England, I, would say I think because we're probably so starved of success that whenever anything remotely like it appears, even the success, there's a shimmering mirage of success in the future and we have to borrow against that. We have to mortgage that success. <laughs> <laughs> we can't resist borrowing from future success in order to bask in wait. it we in the wait. present, but even you know, beyond our means. That's just yeah. our, that's the thing that we like to do. We could wait for the success, but then we wouldn't be enjoying the success now. Right now. So let's <laughs> enjoy the success now and then when the success doesn't come. There'll be so much success in the future that it will be easy to make the repayments on the success that we have that we've borrowed to bring it into the present to gloat over the Welsh in advance of actually. You know. Did you know, by the way? And this is something I don't know if you do know that Neil Francis, when he was born, weighed the same as thirteen or more tubs of flora. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how much did he weigh when he was born? 
Oh, I can't remember the exact weight, but he, he did how, reveal how you know this. Oh, sorry, yeah, go on. Uh, I, because I saw Neil Francis uh, in an interview. You're actually you, you're kind of obsessed with Neil Francis. Let him hang on. Oh, sorry, okay. I've always I've always been a fan of Neil Francis. I like his television persona. I like his uh, I like his writing. I've always enjoyed his columns. I liked his story the other week about big, strong rugby men. That was quite good. I like the way he says the word pocock. Yeah, we're getting sidetracked though. What's the story about the size of Neil Francis as a baby? He, uh, well, he was he was sort of Neil Francis as you have never seen him before, answering uh, some some intimate questions. Uh, one of the one of the things that he revealed about himself that he was the heaviest baby born in Ireland in 1964, <laughs> and I think he gave the weight, and I think it was 13 pounds something. So that's 13 why thirteen four or something like that. That's why I base him my thirteen times of four. Also, that he'd seen Saving Private Ryan. More than 100 times. That was that lot. movie. Yeah. That was listed as his favourite movie, I guess. Well, he, I don't know if it was his absolute favourite, but, you know, it's always difficult. He's seen a lot of movies. It's always difficult to pick an absolute favourite, but he did. Saving Private Ryan did pop into his head and he said, I've seen it more than 100 pounds. times. Yeah. Probably watching Saving Private Ryan right now. Jerry Thornley and Matt Williams are going to talk to us about the rugby. And congratulations, we should state on the record, congratulations to our Celtic cousins over in Wales on a deserved victory. Yeah, from all here. Mm. <laughs> we're we're so congratulations, Mr. Gatland. <laughs> oh, you you got us again. Clare beat Dublin in the hurling league on Saturday night. That was their first win, a competitive fixture since their league quarterfinal win against Leash last April. It hasn't been a good time on the field, but it's an off the field story we're talking about today. And it was one that's broken by the Irish Times in a piece on Saturday. Murph, this surrounds Davy O'Halloran and Nicky O'Connell, two players who've left the squad. O'Halloran was uh, the player interviewed in this piece by Eamon Donoghue uh, and was scathing in how, essentially the story is, he was caught out in a night out. I say caught out. He says he wasn't drinking. He was actually injured and couldn't play anyway in the game that was coming up a couple of days later. Uh, uh, One of the trainers sees him there, tells Davey Fitz about it. He then gets subjected, he says he's subjected to a punishment whereby he's pretty much if not banished by the squad, isolated within the squad, told you go over, you can't talk to any other players, you can't wear the team gear. You I would t- say worse than being banished. I mean, if you said, just don't come to training for three weeks, that's not actually that humiliating. That's just a punishment. What he actually had to do, according to uh, the Irish Times on Saturday, was tug out separately. So the rest of the panel are tugging out in one dressing room. He has to tug out by himself. Uh, he couldn't wear the team gear for training. Uh, couldn't even travel to games. And wasn't allowed, well, trained alone in the corner of the pitch and wasn't allowed to talk to teammates during training. I mean, it's utterly bizarre. I know what you mean. You'd yeah. rather, as a person, I mean, if you're 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 you'd rather not be there. Yeah. You'd rather not be there than, than to have to go through this Good. for a few And that weeks. is, I mean, humiliation was the word that he used and that is... That is a humiliation. That's a public humiliation. If that's what happened, Davey reluctantly answered some questions about it and he did say there was a... He was quite vague in his answers. He really didn't... As I say, he was reluctant about it to the press. He was reluctant about it. We'll play a bit of a, an interview he did with um, Brian Carthy on RTE where he's he's trying to shut down the interview as it goes, shut down that line of questioning but still reveals a little bit. And he says, look, we do everything by the book. What's, what's interesting to me though is more that uh, Davey O'Halloran was more upset about the fact that there appeared to be some sort of double standards at work, that one of the pivotal players uh, in the team got away with the same thing without punishment, uh, which Davy has denied having happened. But the, actually, actually, the, actually, the claim that is that the pivotal player was drinking. And yeah. it, was, it was a separate incident where he actually was, was uh, drinking and he, having a drink. And he yeah. got away with it without punishment, which would lead you to su- suggest that 
that th- this is part of the team protocols. Th- this humiliation that Davy O'Halloran had to go through was people have players have signed up to that. That, that like that's fine. That that's not. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> you know, and the, it, as long as everyone gets treated that way, I don't have a problem with it. Mm. You should have a problem with that because that's ridiculous. That's I just can't get. I I couldn't get when I read it. I just couldn't believe the the childishness of it. Yeah. I mean, you would do that to a toddler to. Try, well, you wouldn't. You would have done it to a toddler 30 years ago. What's very ago. interesting about this, we don't know the extent to which, if this is common practice in panels, uh, you know, we don't know exactly how managers generally discipline players because usually, uh, for obvious reasons, players don't tend to talk about it. Even when they've left the panel, they tend not to talk about it because they may feel there's a way back in in the future. But obviously, Eamon Dunahoo got this player talking about this particular case. So we'll try to get to the bottom of it a little bit later on. We're going to talk to Michael Foley, the Sunday Times, about that one. But Matt Williams is ready to go from Sydney and Simon's popped over. Simon, how are you? Hey, how you doing? And Jerry's here too. Jerry, how are things? Not too bad, thank you. I'm going to put it to you, Jerry, that we, <clears throat> everything's a bit, uh, you know, down, down in the mouth at the moment today. But are Ireland not still hot favourites for the championship? I see people suggesting Wales are favourites or England should win. Or Ireland are playing the worst team in the tournament who <laughs> are a bit like, as Murph described to me earlier on, a bit like Ozzy Ardiles' Spurs from back in the day. Um, they're, they're definitely there to be got at. And yet it seems as though because the Grand Slam is gone, everyone thinks everything's all over. I'm not so sure there's an ostensibly worst team and our best team, the Six Nations, over a course of seven weeks. It comes and goes. I mean, Scots lost to a la- uh, penalty trial the last play of the game at home to Italy. Therefore, we wouldn't be saying if that hadn't happened. I think classic Scots at home in the last game, not having won a match, they can salvage their season here. And they've been playing some bright rugby. And I think they'll be difficult enough to put away in Murrayfield. Always have been for Irish sides. Always been a tricky venue. Even for this them. Scotland team, yeah. which seems to try to play a little more rugby than yeah. it's able to. Yeah, I do. I do think it'll be difficult enough. I mean, admittedly, England left a few tries behind, which is about the only positive news out of Saturday that England could have pushed so far much further clear. Another 14 points clear. So virtually have their hand on the trophy. But I disagree with you. I think Wales are outsiders. Yeah. And then the bookies' odds reflect that they're nine to one to win the title. Oh, I think I think, I think it was actually O'Gara. Uh, Ron O'Gara was the person who uh, I noticed mentioning that he thinks that they could really rack up a score. Yeah, Eddie O'Sullivan heard say the same thing. Um, I would have thought yes, there's a chance they might rack up a score. Italy only having a six-day turnaround, looking pretty pretty putrid to be honest, in a fairly turgid game against France on Sunday. Uh, but Wales will be without Samson Lee and perhaps Gethin Jenkins as well, so their scrum will be depowered. Um, and no matter what score they. They build up. Unless it is really a mammoth score, England will go into the last game knowing exactly what's required of them, no matter what Ireland or Wales do before. And that's a huge advantage. And I think having missed out on the title by points difference for the last two years, knowing exactly what they have to do, home against the French side, there was an early score or two. The French are fairly spooked by Twickenham. They're a bad record there. I think England have to be favourites. Simon, you're not going to back me up either, are you? I think Ireland are slight favourites, yeah. Ah, Thank you. I think that Wales... They, for all that they, the good stuff they did against Ireland was mainly in defence. I don't think they're a team that rack up huge scores. Neither are Ireland. <laughs> and I, I think France, uh, they weren't amazing again, but I think they're building a little bit. They may even win that game. My I think Fran- I think France have a chance of winning that game. Really? My yeah. word. <laughs> Let's not go over the top My here, word. Simon. We're just talking about points here at this stage. Well, Matt Williams... Can uh, I have whatever Simon's drinking? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's for a very strong tea this morning. <laughs> Matt Williams, uh, there's a suggestions in this part of the world that it, it, in ways it was a good defeat for Ireland to suffer in light of it being World Cup year and us having to face up to some of the uh, to some of the deficiencies in our game, which in fairness you've been highlighting over the last few weeks. Would you? Is there such a thing as a good defeat when you're going for a Grand Slam? Absolutely not, mate. But I, I love the way Ireland 
and Irish people can always find something positive out of very big negatives. <laughs> because I've been saying there's been big negatives and everyone's found all the positives in it and you've done it again, which is great. It's great. Look, it's not the end of the world and, and part of what you're saying is true. We, we just look at what Matt um, Williams is saying and then say the opposite here. Uh, yeah, that's the way I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've certainly had that feeling the last month. <laughs> I'm glad my passport's not up for renewal. I don't think I'd get it. I think I'd get revoked. I've been getting a, getting a bit of bit of a, a gobful here but that's that's okay that it's been a nice a nice bit of banter but look I, I think the point I've been trying to make is there would come a game and I think I said it on the show here a couple of weeks ago where Ireland will have to chase a game to win it and that's just the nature of, of international rugby and you have to have a running game in order um, and they didn't what what I didn't uh, bank on was that their kicking game left and they started making some really silly errors. They were running the ball from their own half and missing touch and missing lineouts and things that, that they hadn't done. But a lot of that was due to pressure, the pressure of the scoreboard that Wales put on them and the pressure they needed to go forward. Um, and they just, they just didn't have a good plan on going forward at all. Uh, they got the penalty try from the mall. Um, and their mall's been pretty efficient, and you know I thought the last play of the game by called by the by referee Barnes was poor. But you can't blame Barnes for that. There was a, a huge amount of other errors and problems in the game that uh, to lay the blame at uh, at Barnes's foot, I think, is is dodging the bullet. Did Ireland go in with one game plan and pretty quickly change to another, Jerry? Given that the it was clear from quite early on that actually despite their lack of a Gaelic football playing background, Wales were fairly handy under the high ball? It's a good question. Um, and I think it's re- related to what Matt said about scoreboard pressure. I can't believe that if Ireland hadn't built up something like a 9-3 lead again, as they had done in the three previous matches, they wouldn't have gone on playing the way they did. But yet, if you look at the official stats, and, and you almost have to go through the video yourself or the DVD yourself because you, the stats vary so much. Scrum.com gave Ireland 28 kicks, or so it's like 18 kicks out of hand and or, 22 it was, 22. Another said 28. I've heard a third one this morning said 18. Luke Charter's famous tackle count of 37 has now been revised down to 30. You don't don't have to go through the tape yourself. 37 seemed insane. It did seem insane. It actually just seemed incomprehensible. Although Thierry Dutz-Tour did famously make 38 in one game. Whatever about all of that, I can't help but feel that if you look at Conor Murray's stats and he he kicked the ball three times, ran three times and passed over 100 times according to Scrum.com. Johnny Sexton kicks six out of kicks out of hand um, and an awful lot of, way more passing, way more. You look at it, they played very much a ball in hand game. One can't help but feel that they they went into the match with some idea that they were going to do that. And interestingly, Sean Edwards said afterwards they were half expecting that. They were expecting more of a ball in hand game from Ireland, less of a game. I mean, Wales countered the aerial game very well. They did their homework. They picked Liam Williams. They always had two at the back, sometimes Halfpenny and Bigger. But Williams is very good in the air as well. North, Roberts did well in the air. So that was an area they targeted and they went after Ireland. And all the things that malfunctioned that Matt talked about, right, that, you know, the, the missed lineouts particularly, one on either end of the pitch, both goal lines, very costly, led to Wales' try. And Wales played a better rugby when they had the pressure on. They played with much more width and depth, and that's what stretched the Irish defence. And there was a little mal- malfunction in the Irish defence for the try, which Wales never made. You know, they just weren't making malfunctions. Their defensive performance was remarkable. And you have to give Wales some credit for that, because even though Ireland mi- malfunctioned in so many ways, they still t- had two huge plays that came within, nearly win- taking the lead early in the third quarter, and had a play at the end to get a draw, and came back twice from seemingly hopeless positions. So they must have been doing something right, and certainly couldn't, in any way, question their endeavour, their heart, or their work rate, and I hope the pack can say they they did a lot, provide a lot of good quality ball, 
But but Matt's point is valid that the team that hasn't played an awful lot of rugby perhaps paid for not having to play an awful lot of rugby when they had to play some rugby. The fact that it was Charteris as opposed to a back rower that was the lead tackler mm. would suggest that Ireland were doing everything quite narrow. And Charteris is a reasonably mobile second row, but he shouldn't be the guy that's making all those tackles. Ireland were just so obvious. And if there's one team that loves a definite target, it's this Welsh back row. They're not actually amazing going forward. You would say Lydia isn't a brilliant nope. ball carrier, neither is Warburton. Falatau's decent, but he's not the best in the world by any means. But what they love do love doing is just absorbing tackle after tackle after tackle and Ireland just made it so easy for them that was the most worrying thing about it I and thought. the most worrying thing in that exact respect that you just talked about right they got themselves into a defensive rhythm that was working really well for them Ireland get back to within four points there's still a good eight seven minutes left on the clock and I'm untouched on the such time beside Liam Toll and Gavin Comiskey and we're watching and Ireland are going through the phases inside their own 10 metre line and like if they couldn't mm. score from five meters out, yeah. well, they spent the whole phases. season not being able to. Exactly, but they certainly weren't going to score from sixty-seven meters out. I was really curious by the game management at that point in the game. I would have thought if they get back down the other end of the pitch and keep Wales out of three-point range for number one and number two, put some seeds of doubt, mental doubt, in Welsh heads by putting them under pressure by putting them back in their own territory when it's now only a four-point game. I would have thought there was ample time to get back into the match and do it that way. And the three-pointer for not releasing, the way Wayne Barnes was refereeing, was almost a three-pointer waiting to happen. I just thought that was very curious game management in the circumstances. Matty, what did you think? Yeah, I had uh, my notes here. I watched the game again before uh, the, the hour or two before we uh, we spoke here. And the, certainly the I had uh, game management underlined in exactly those terms. You know, you, you, if you think about what's made the, the Irish... Um, play over over the last let's say half a dozen games so successful is and uh, that, that it was Munster rugby as I've said to you and said in the Irish Times they kick to position then put you under pressure and they seem to abandon that principle and I don't I can't tell you why I can just tell you what I what what, what Jerry's observed and I've observed but backing up those statistics that that Jerry's uh, quoted there and there's some absolutely staggering statistics in the game. Number one, you've got to give the Welsh credit. Their, their defensive display was quite magnificent, you know, and I, I mean that absolutely magnificent defence. But it was some of the dumbest rugby I've seen um, for a long time. The, the, the weight of possession Ireland had, and they ran a crossfield almost consistently, and it went from nine to a forward runner, nine ten to a forward runner. They, they could all. I, I, I haven't done the count, but rarely did they get a second pass in. Off, off one of those runners. And that's what made Wales attack so uh, positive. They got the ball from the 5-8 to a centre and the centre got another pass away, which is exactly what happened for their try when uh, Williams ran between uh, um, uh, Hislip and, and Tommy Bow, which was, an, uh, again, an unmitigated stuff-up, I believe, on Tommy's part. To Tom, why Tommy would turn his back on the ball and defeat every principle that you caught as, uh, taught as a player. And I was yelling at him there because I certainly taught him some other things besides that. But it, it was very frustrating that way. But it is, it is again, guys, I've got to say, we, we, we just can't get away from the elephant in the room. It is crap def- attacking rugby. The forwards are running across field. They run what we call overs lines. In other words, they run away from the ball. There is absolutely no suggestion of footwork before contact. There is no creation of space by by movement of runners and so on that we have seen from Irish teams in the past. It is as predictable as the sun coming up in the morning and the sun setting in the evening. And unless they address it, 
the, the, this isn't going to cut the mustard. Interestingly, yeah, Matty, sorry to cut across you, but uh, last year, a lot of that, well, you said that it hasn't always been like this with Irish rugby. As recently as last season, under this same coach, we were, uh, I don't think we were predictable, I and mean, we were certainly we, scoring plenty we, of tries. We scored 16 tries in Six Nations last year. Uh, we scored four this year, two off lineup. Amazing, and, and often off less possession last year. Yeah. It wasn't as though we were dominating possession. So what's happened over the over the course of that time? I, I, look, I, I, I don't, can't tell you why. I can only tell you what we're seeing. But those numbers don't lie. And and look in our in your conversation there before saying, well, who's going to win? Can Ireland win? You know, Ireland's uh, try scoring ability since no, the November internationals and and the Six Nations here has been appalling. And to think that we're going to come out next week and somehow okay, we're going to run in seven or eight tries and we're going to rack up a big score. I'm saying, guys, look, I hope we do it, but there is absolutely no evidence to suggest we will do it. What has happened? I, I believe that they came up with a formula saying that the running game, our running game um, is overrated, that we need a stronger kicking game, we're going to base this on defence and we're going, to, we're going to rope-a-dope our way through this. And they've almost done it. But they, they've gone too much away from their running game and they need to go back and address it now. But the problem is you're at the end of the Six Nations, you're weary, the training this week will be very light because they want to get the guys up for another game. This is what I mean. Attack is so difficult. Defence is much easier. And I gave Wales credit for what they did. It takes a huge amount out of the tank. But it is so much easier to defend than attack. Now, to get your, your, your attack right takes a lot of work. They've got to get structure in place. They've got to get footwork in place. They've got to get their forwards, stop running across field and run straight. And they've got to somehow buy space where we can get a second pass off a centre. Now, that's a lot of work. And they're not going to get that done in a week. The the collective idea of the this Irish team being predictable makes a lot of sense, and the the patterns are obviously there, Matty. But say Jerry takes some, an individual like Jamie Heaslip through through his whole career has had amazing footwork, always spots a soft shoulder, always just makes a couple of yards, and then yesterday just looked so predictable, kept taking it off the edge of a rook and was caught behind the gain line three or four times. How do you yeah. explain a, a one individual, whatever about the team strategy? Well, I thought he carried well sometimes, give him credit, and, I, and he's never been a huge... It's it's very hard to make big, big lumbusting carries now in open play for a number eight or for anybody else. The game has changed so much since Jamie Hayes used to do that. But say There's Paul O'Connell took two great lines yesterday yeah. and showed the example that it can be done. Yeah, and I thought Sean Cronin did that when he came on as yeah. well, taking the ball at depth, which is something that even Sean O'Brien wasn't doing, Jamie Hayes wasn't doing. Sean Cronin really showed the way there when he came on and was... Really good to see Ian Henderson bounce a Welsh tackler off as well, and it hadn't they, because they were so dominant the collisions and tackling Ireland so often behind the gain line because they could read the plays so well. Um, I think Jamie he's a as as a relatively little rugby under his belt and has had an unusually troubled season injury wise, and I think that may have contributed. I, I disagree. Simon Manning, I thought that it's easy from the cheap seats, but I thought he bit in a little bit for the try as well. That if he if he holds his width and pushes out, Ireland are one on one, three on three rather. And I thought he was partly at fault for the try. And I think basically the pace of the game, which was unrelenting. The ball was in play 41 minutes, Simon. That's very unusual for a test match. And um, I think it took its toll on those players who hadn't had an awful lot of rugby on their belt, notably Jamie. And that would never have normally happen in the past. But he's playing perhaps for a few injuries this season as well and just not having as much rugby on his belt as he normally would. Well, Shane Horgan identified the problem as being a lack of leadership in the back line, Jerry. He says that we ha- most of the leaders in this team are in the pack and, uh, and, and at 9 and 10. Mm. But further out than that, obviously midfield is the specific example there of where it might go wrong. But he even said, say that the try that we butchered, the try chance we butchered where... Bow and 
um, uh, was it Carney or Zebo were screaming for the ball. The one where Keane Healy knocked on short of the line. Yeah, he said phrase, he yeah. said somebody needs to be going in there if your out half is getting sucked into a rook or he you're at the bottom half, of the rook. I think wasn't he? There's got yeah. there's got to be somebody else taking control there. Be it a, a, be it Bow coming in or be it, uh, just somebody who can actually take a little bit of leadership. It seemed like he he was he he identified that as being an issue that our leaders are mostly from 1 to 10 now and not any further out than that, would you agree? Well, maybe that's an inevitable consequence of when you lose two a centre who's got 140-odd caps and another one's got nearly a century caps, you know what I mean, and have been the regular midfield partnership for seven or eight years. And on top of which, going back to what Matt was saying earlier, provided most of the footwork and in O'Driscoll's case, most of the offloading of this Irish team for the last few years as well, as well as the leadership. So you're going to lose, you lose a lot there and you get more of a meat and two veg midfield with Robbie Henshaw and Jared Payne. They're more hard carrying, uh, they're more physical, um, but they don't have that footwork and that offloading game that the Darcy and O'Driscoll brought to the pack. And they don't have that experience and leadership either. It, Tommy Bow does have, if he, if he, if he, and so does Rob Carney. It, so it shouldn't be a case that they lack leadership in those kind of situations. And um, I think when they look, look back on the tape, apart from the kickoff and allowing Wales into the game the way they did, they'll rue that one the most. They're just a, kind of like a white line fever, really. What did you think, Matty? Was it a bit leader, leaderless or rudderless outside of 10? Yeah, look, I think it's I think it's inevitable in what Jerry's saying. Um, you know, and it's interesting. Shane Horgan was saying it. You, you think of the, the the massive personalities and the and the intellect, the rugby intellect that they that backline used to have. You know, Shane, Shane might have played in the wing, but he was a phenomenal thinker of the game and a great leader. And Dennis Hickey and and you know you know Ron Agara when you had others there as well, and they would step up. Let alone Brian O'Driscoll, who'd take anyone's head off and just tell you what he wanted, and that that is definitely the case, but um, I, I think that there was another aspect to it as well, which was a lack of realignment. And I think if, if you've, mm. I often say to young players, watch Conrad Smith. He's he's one of the great outside centres in the world because he'll he'll realign back. He'll go backwards so that he can run forwards on the ball. And Jerry just said that one that one great line that Cronin ran onto the ball where, where during that incredible. Uh, period in the early part of the second half when there was 20 or 30 phases there in the Welsh 22, I was looking at our alignment and we were flat. We, we, were, we were flat-footed when we took the ball. At one stage there, we lost about 15 to 20 metres. The, the Welsh had forced us back and it got to Paul O'Connell again to take us forward. But it, it, there's a number of issues here. See, it's, it's a multi... When you, when you have a system failure, so if we, if we just tell you again, the definition of system delivers the athlete to the ball in attack and defence. When you have system failure, it's usually for a lot of reasons. And we're, we're ticking them off. We weren't deep enough. We didn't do Conrad Smith. We didn't realign. We didn't have a leadership telling us what to do, which means guys are panicking. Or not, not so much panicking, but they're confused by the pressure of the game. And the, and the other part was there that we've identified, we believe they might have changed the game when they got onto the field. And that's a player's right to change the game. They've got to play it out there. But they changed it to such an extent that they put more pressure on their running game. The changes in their thinking put more pressure on what they were weak at. And so it multiplies the effect. Um, And yet again, we have to say, this is why it's not a total disaster, Ireland could very easily have won that game. Wayne Barnes, you know, the Welsh were very, very disciplined. Yet they were offside on almost every single ruck they set a metre offside and not one penalty for it. But they could have easily won the game, but there is still a lot of issues in that Irish attack that will take some sorting out. 
Is there not, though, Matty, enough uh, now about the players and about the management team that can sort out enough of those issues in the short term? Just t- forget about the World Cup for a second, but enough of those I- those issues to actually go and, and score some tries against Scotland, do something we haven't been doing all season, because we are playing against, uh, we've just come up against, in many ways, the toughest defence in the Six Nations, and we may be coming up against the softest next week. I, th- I think if I... Um say to you, watch the Brumbies play. The Brumbies are playing the Waratahs this week. And the Brumbies, uh, with Stephen Larkham of coach, have an attacking system that creates space. And and the way they set up their attackers um, and the way they can pass the ball creates space out wide. And it comes from rugby league, and we're very lucky that we're in Australia. We've got rugby league. Uh, influencing us the way we have because it makes us consider our attack. The Waratahs aren't doing it, but the Brumbies are. That's a system that will work. Now, right now, Ireland, I can't see anything in the Irish attack that's creating that. And and it's that's why I've been sort of jumping up and down for the last five weeks and while they've been winning, everyone's saying, well, I'm an idiot. And now that we've lost, everyone's saying, oh, God, what are we going to do? I don't think they can do it in a week. I hope they can. They've got some good individuals, and you're right, I think the Scots are... Scots are running in a great system. I think Vern Cotter's done a very good job setting systems up. They just don't have the athletes. Having said that, no one's really put the Scots away by a big score. No one's put them to the sword. Everyone's just sort of hanging in there, especially at Murrayfield. So there's nothing really in what Scotland's done that says, look, they're going to collapse by 40 points the way Italy did a few years ago when Eddie O'Sullivan took a, took the Irish team over there and they put 40 points on them. I can't see us doing that because that Irish team was regularly scoring big big numbers of tries. We've scored uh, uh, literally, we, if we take that, we didn't, we didn't actually cross the line on Saturday. We had, it had to be a penalty try. So we created nothing in that 80 minutes. So that puts us right at the very bottom of the try scoring. So how do you turn that around in, in uh, seven days when it's a light week? You can't. I don't think you can. You, they'll go in and they'll win that game. But it's a lottery whether they're going to get enough points or not to get the for and against to where they need to be to win the championship. Matty, I agree with you in terms of taking the last four games in isolation that the trends are there, that we can't turn it around within a week. But Jerry, we are talking about Joe Schmidt and Les Kiss here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a, a greater weight of evidence over the last few years that he's played some of the best attacking rugby we've ever seen, um, both with Ireland and with Leinster and obviously with Claremont. And just to take a little example of how it might change next week. When Madigan and Redden and Cronin came on, mm-hmm. why did they, they look so good. The tempo was obviously higher, mm-hmm. but it, it can obviously be done and we, and we look good for very brief periods, albeit. I think that whenever a good quality scrum half comes on for a good quality scrum half with anything less than, or anything around 20 minutes to go in the game, he should always quicken the tempo and he nearly always does do. And if he doesn't, there's something wrong. I mean, Whenever Isaac Boss comes on for our own Redden or vice versa, Lancer, one generally improves whatever. For starters, they're watching the game from the stand for 60 minutes and can see certain things that maybe a player in the heat of battle cannot see. An experienced player like Owen Redden can do that. Um, so I would expect you know, players like Sean Cronin, and one of the reasons I thought Ireland might win that match was because of their bench and because of the impact of it. I do think that they need a Luke Fitzgerald or a Keith Earls as well. We've been saying that in this programme. The very fact that Felix Jones wasn't brought onto the pitch when Ireland were chasing a game, I would much rather have a player. I mean, Felix Jones is ostensibly a fullback who also covers wings. There are already five fullbacks on the pitch. There probably isn't a need for another one. Even Madigan can play fullback as well. So you've got actually seven players in the match day 23 who can play fullback. Um, you could bring on a Luke Fitzgerald or Keith Earls who can play 13 or on the wing. They've got footwork, They've got which is this team lacks, and they've got an ability to beat a player, and they've got pace. And I would think that would be more of a change-up off the bench as well. I'd like to see that myself, accepting everything that Joe Schmidt says about Felix Jones. 
I don't, I'm not so sure they can turn it on like a tap, Simon. I mean, you look at the try scoring table, Ireland are joint lowest in four with France. Um, even Scots and the Italians have more, or the Welsh have more than that. Um, Ireland are four, Wales uh, five, France four, Italy six, Scotland five, and England 11. And that goes back to my point that if anybody's going to run up a big score at the weekend, I think it's more likely to be England. They could have, they could easily be on 13 or 14 now. They've taken, was it 17 line breaks they made against the Scots? I mean, they are playing a brand of rugby. Their running game has been the most potent in the Six Nations by some distance. And that's why I still think they're hot favourites to win this. Matt, just a last word on the psychology of this now for Ireland. We're talking about the technical aspects and, and, and the sort of attack that they have to... Well, maybe it is, that is all predicated on the psychology anyway, but uh, we do have this obsession with the Grand Slam and when it goes, you tend to drop the heads a little bit. That's fine for supporters. Do you think that players will be able to turn it around quickly enough in their own heads that, look... It's very rare that we win championships. We almost never win them back to back, and there's a huge prize to play for next Saturday. Oh, absolutely! And I, I, you know, I'd, I'd certainly be getting Kieran Fitz, uh, Kieran Fitzgerald in there, and having a chat to the boys. And, and uh, you know, his team didn't win a teams didn't win a championship, but they, uh, didn't win a Grand Slam, but they won a championship. A championship is ex- incredibly valuable. Like, the, uh, I don't think we should underestimate. I think people. I think we overestimate the Grand Slam, but but the, in Ireland, the value of just winning the competition is undervalued. I think, and it, it, it's still a massive amount to play for. It's just how quickly they recover emotionally. You've got a you've got a physical recovery from a, a, a amazing physical battle that that game was. I watched when I said I watched it again. I'm just going, wow, these guys are are really throwing their heart and soul into this, and therefore you pay an emotional price. They've got to recover emotionally as well, and then. Let's build up again and move forward. But they can because they've got a, you know, we talked about a lack of leadership, but Paul O'Connell on his 100th game, you know, I must have been watching a different game. If he wasn't the best player on the field by a country mile, I don't know who it was. I don't know how that. Warburton was good, but he got a sin bin. Paul should have been the man of the match. He was absolutely staggering. And that we're blessed having such inspirational leaders. And I'm sure Paul will get those guys together and they'll go out and give it every, every bit that they can. But again, it's exactly what Jerry has says. England are playing systems that are leading line breaks, leading offloads, long, and, and they're scoring tries. We're not. That, that is a coaching issue. It is a, the coaches are in charge of systems. And, and look, mate, I'm going to say, Jay's a great guy and he's a fabulous coach with an unbelievable record and I admire him. But that doesn't mean that it's still not his problem. We can't go and say, you know, it's, you, you know, it's like saying, you, you guys are like saying, oh, Mother Teresa, well, you're in Calcutta, why weren't you in Bombay? You know, like, <laughs> you, know, you know, and that's what it's like. No one can criticise Joe. Look, they've got an attacking problem. Joe's a boss. It's on his plate. And that's not to so say that he to take anything away from what the guy's done. The guy's a, a wonderful human being and he's a wonderful coach. But the team is not attacking. So fix it. And that's what you've got to say. We've got to stop making excuses. You've got to front it up and go straight down the line. Now, if that team had their attacking shape in order that they had last season, they'd have a grand slam and they wouldn't, they'd be going up there to put 40 points on this mob. And somewhere between last season and this season, it's gone. And that's the coach's job. Matt Williams, we'll leave it there. Matt, thank you. Jerry, thank you. Cheers, thanks. In the final and on it again. And here
should be sent off. He's going to be a yellow card. A gasp. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm wavering a little bit, Simon, on my prediction here, given that um, both... Well, at least you're sticking by me. You know, you think that uh, it'll be no problem for Ireland because France will actually beat England. But the, the point uh, I probably should have raised it, lads, I'm not necessarily saying... In fact, I'm not saying that Ireland are going to go to Murrayfield and win by 50 points. I don't think we will score six tries, but I think we could score quite a few penalties uh, and maybe a couple of tries, possibly win by 15 points. Your confidence is based on the weakness of all the other nations as opposed to the strength of Ireland? Well, it's based... We still have to get that result. A win away in Murrayfield by 15 points is a really good result. Uh, But it's, it's actually probably maybe me rating France a little bit higher than they deserve to be rated yeah. based on historical results against England. The idea that it, they're not going to just go to Twickenham. The idea that, as we are saying, that England know what they have to get. But if, if what they have to get is, say, that would be an 11-point win, 10-11-point win. I don't think that's that simple for England to beat France by 10 or 11 points yeah. at Twickenham. I think Ken touched on it there. What the French love is a target or you know a proper achievement. Like They can barely even concentrate in the group stages of a Rugby World Cup. Uh, you know, even beating Ireland as Six Nations, ah, whatever. But ruining England's hopes They, they look big one-off occasions. Yeah, get me to yeah. a World Cup semi, I'll start concentrating. But uh, beating England in Twickenham, ruining the whole crowd's day, I think that's something they'd like. Pretty strong from Matt on Joe Schmidt there, Ken. Matt thinks that everyone over here is a little reluctant to to critique Schmidt too closely. Well, he I'm, has I, to carry the can here and get it right. It's understandable, I think, for another coach maybe to look at this this kind of hero worship of Joe Schmidt and think, well, hang on a second, you know, I'm I'm also a coach and uh you know, let's let's all settle down a little bit here. You know, it's not as not as the guy is, you know, Jesus Christ himself. And that's always a reasonable point. So maybe Matt is is taking uh is is in seeking to make that point, maybe going a bit too far the other way. Because whatever way you look at it, Joe Schmidt has done an amazing job. Yeah. An absolutely brilliant job. You've got this team which has lost in, in the last couple of years two of the most talented players. I mean, I'm talking about O'Gara as well as O'Driscoll. Um, two of the most talented players that we've had and seems to continue to go from sort of strength to strength. The wins that they've... I mean, there's this talk about Ireland have been boring against France. Ireland beat France. I, all I remember from the first 25 years of my life is Ireland losing to France again and again and again and again. And it didn't matter whether it was never exciting or, you know, anything other than just defeat. That was all it was. We've no, we don't really have any reason to expect to win a match like that. We don't have any reason to expect to go to Wales and beat Wales. Have you seen the Welsh rugby team? <laughs> have you seen these guys? They're playing all that can happen, Ken. I mean, they're so... They're, they're terrifying. skills in the air are amazing. 
They're a terrifying bunch of men. It's an amazingly negative tone to all the analysis. We have won 10 games 11. We could still have beaten Wales in spite of, you know, our out half having a poor game, in spite of the line out going, a million things going wrong. Um, and yet it's sort of, oh, championship's over and Ireland are terrible. Well, I think, I We're think a team with, with, na- with, with really narrow margins, I think. I mean, who, yeah. who, where are the great players in the Ireland team? Sexton. And who else? Well, Paul O'Connell. Paul O'Connell, Sean O'Brien, Keane Healy. Are, are O'Brien and Healy great players? I mean, I'm not, I don't they're, know. They're players to be pushing for selection in every team in the world. Yeah. I, 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 just, I just don't think I just, when we look at it that we've got, that we've got loads and loads of talent. You know, if, if Sexton is not playing particularly well, or, you know, Sex, I mean, this is why you'd have to be skeptical about Ireland, you know, their, their chance of ever winning the World Cup. Because while you could imagine them winning a one off game against any of those teams, I can't imagine them week after week after week you know, kind of preserving the strength that they're going to need for each successful match. There just, there just isn't resources there. Sexton is going to be probably injured. I mean, that's the, that's the fact of it. You know, he's going to get so much punishment, he's probably going to get injured. Other players, are going to, you know, we've seen Sean O'Brien, we've seen Healy, they've both had bad injuries in the last year. It's really hard to imagine Ireland... Uh, <clears throat> I, I just think that, that cer- we have the yeah, players. Certainly I mean, the, the, the number of players. Yeah, certainly the dependency on Johnny Sexton. As long as Johnny Sexton is playing brilliantly... Ireland have a chance in every single game, but uh, in the in in a way that maybe wasn't the case even last year. He still had O'Driscoll and Darcy outside him last year. If if Johnny Sexton plays poorly, and there's no doubt that he played very poorly on Saturday, unfortunately that's just the way it was. Ireland are very much hamstrung. Then we're in we're in big big trouble when Johnny Sexton doesn't play well. That's a huge amount of pressure. To put on a guy, and in a way, we never even asked that of of O'Driscoll. You know that that if O'Driscoll had a quiet game, he was never the centerpiece of the game plan. What you hoped for Brian O'Driscoll to do was the two or three moments of magic on top of the brilliant work rate that he had and everything. But he didn't. Every time he the, he the ball was in his hands, he didn't have to do something brilliant. Unfortunately, that's what we're asking of Johnny Sexton. That his kicks have to be absolutely spot on. That after twenty five phases deep in the Welsh twenty two. Do something, you know, do something amazing. And it, that's not easy when you've got the entire Welsh back row who are all 18 stone and a, love nothing point. more than tackling. It's a great point. When your superstar stops being your 13 and moves to being your number 10, it's a whole different pressure. And it, and if he has that bad game, it's a whole different knock-on effect to the rest of the team. The critical tone that you mentioned, Simon, though, is understandable in the context. I'm not just, of, I don't just mean Maddie, it's everybody. Yeah. yeah, but the critical tone, I think, of one game, it's fair enough. It doesn't, you, you, you don't harbour, you don't hammer a team who've lost a game when they've won 10 before, but you can still critique quite heavily the reasons they lost that game. And people did, Matt in particular, would have seen those reasons building up during the rest of the Six Nations. But I think also it touches on a point that <laughs> that one of the boys made there, that the cha- I was Matt, that the championship is undervalued in Ireland and the Grand Slam is overvalued. I found myself uh, around Six Nations time you end up talking rugby with people who don't really have an interest in sport but end up watching these games. I had a number of these conversations over the weekend where I was trying to explain what a Grand Slam was and what a championship was. And it's funny when you start talking about it, you're explaining that, no, the championship means you're the best team, you win the league. It's just you don't win every game. And to people who aren't... That sounds like a pretty good deal. That that sounds like, (laughs) so you're the champions. 
Yeah, but you don't win a crown. We have this weird. If one person even asked me, "Do we still play a game? Do we finish? Do we play our last game next week?" <laughs> I was like, "Of course we do." It's like, but we've, we've lost the grand slam. Maybe that's because it's quite new. They used to count points differential because it was seen as such a short championship. Yeah, it's unfair and it's not home and away for every team. So um, you just have a joint winner, which happened quite a lot of years. But they brought it in two thousand, I think. And but if you take it, the players' focus then is on points differential for the whole tournament. Then it's a really fair way to judge judge the winner. Thanks, I. Thank you. Coming up in our Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing about? What did you want? I wanted to stay alive for six years. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them. What are you doing down here, you shiny man? So Jose Mourinho has gone a further point in front of the challengers challengers in the Premier League. And how happy he is about it. He's just radiating such happiness. Jose Sunbeam Mourinho. Uh, is just uh, liberally dispensing good cheer uh, all around him in the English game. So we'll talk a little bit about what's got him in such a good mood. Mm. Uh, maybe uh, Gus Poyet as well. It looks like he's um, been sacked at Sunderland or going, about to be sacked. Could be could um, be sacked by the time people are listening to this. Exactly. So far be it from me to wish that Gus Poyet is sacked. But I think that's what we're going to be talking about. It makes and, for an interesting story. And now. if it were to happen, you know... Let's have it happen in the next hour or so. It's just tidier for editing purposes. Well, and, and also, you know, why put Gus through that? You know, yeah, quick, a, clean, football, like taking off a plaster, since, please, Thunderland. Since Clare won the All-Ireland in 2013, things have been far from smooth. And Saturday's win against Dublin was their first competitive victory in almost a year, which is crazy when you think about it, but that's on the field. Davy O'Halloran and Nicky O'Connell have left the squad. O'Halloran gave an interview to Eamon Dunahoo in the Irish Times on Saturday detailing his reasons for leaving the panel. He felt he was being... As a, this is a guy who wasn't going to be a, a central part of things, probably. It's just we're bearing that in mind in terms of the context here. Man of the match in the 2013 under-21. Oh, sorry, a really, good, really yeah, good player. Really good player yeah, I'm not questioning yeah, his talent yeah. level, but he, well, he certainly didn't feel too integral to the squad. Anyway, he felt he was being asked to carry out a, an unfair punishment for what seemed to be a minor enough disciplinary issue. We'll get into this with Michael Foley of the Sunday Times in a second. Let's just hear what David Fitzgerald had to say to Brian Carthy on Radio 1 after the game. Did you feel pressure coming into today's game based on the fact that you hadn't won or even a draw in the Alliance League and then there were other controversies as well? No, tell you the truth, I didn't. I think that if you ask the lads inside, they'll tell you the team talk was probably the calmest I ever gave, you know. And pressure, um, being honest, I don't really read too much. I tell the lads that we don't bother with the media and let's be honest, we don't read or listen to too much. The most important thing is we just do what we do for each other, you know, and like we might lose the next game or two too, I don't know what'll happen, you know, but we'll stay together and we'll stay working away. I have a fantastic bunch of players there that are very committed to Clare and commitment is a massive, massive word. Now you drop two players for a breach of discipline, David O'Halloran and Nicky O'Connell. Uh, what was that about? Um, well, first of all, Brian, I didn't drop two. Um, they left the panel. And all I'm going to say on this matter is, um, myself and the management were very happy that we treated everyone and would treat everyone the same way as so we did. And um, they're not bad lads, so they're not. But we are 100% certain that we do things by the book and there's a set of rules there and that's the way it is and they were implemented and that, that's all it was Brian and I will not be saying one other word apart from that But tell me this Davy O'Halloran in today's Irish Times said he was humiliated by you that from a player that you've worked with for a long time 
It's strong words. Yeah, it is. So it is. It's untrue. But listen, I'm not going into it. That's it. I've told you now, Brian, all I'm going to tell you. And there's no more coming, whether you like it or don't. And you think everybody was treated fairly? There was no other player let off less uh, suspended? I am 110% certain of that. 110% certain of that, so I am. Um, I don't go into lies or stuff like that. Um, everything is above board and fine and I will not be talking about it after I finish this comment it will not be coming up ever again I suppose the question people would ask is a penalty too severe for an amateur player you're not going to talk about that what about one other question what about one other question could you see the two players coming back into the panel Brian I've, I've told you like, I think fair is fair all right, Michael Foley's been listening to David Fitzgerald there talking to Brian Carthy on Saturday Sport. Michael, first question, what did you make of that? Um, kind of what you'd expect, really. Um, you know, obviously denying, denying that uh, players are humiliated, but not actually denying that anything that the players said happened actually happened. Um, you know, a man's, one, one man's humiliation is, is another man's disciplinary code sometimes, you know. So um, it's... It's 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 a very difficult one. I mean, reading the comments from the players, they're so specific and so um, you know particular in relation to the punishment and the way um, they were treated. It's look, it's very hard to know. It's very it's, it's very hard to know when you have when when you have a management that are absolutely you know uh, completely certain that they acted in a proper way. And when you listen to what the players described, it's uh, it certainly doesn't sound certainly doesn't sound like the kind of disciplinary code or. Our, our way of, 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 of approaching this discipline with a panel that would be number one. Well, certainly, personally, if, 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 you, if, if you're in a situation like that, I wouldn't be signing any disciplinary cause that, that outline punishments like that. And uh, if you saw it happen to somebody else, I don't, I don't think it, it can do anything for morale, you know? Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's interesting that Davey, uh, as well as what he said, it was also interesting how he wanted to sh- shut that interview down and it was the same speaking to the to the writers afterwards reading a lot of the uh, a lot of the transcripts there it seemed like he was answering the questions but ending each answer with that's all I'm going to say about this and you can see why this would not be be good for David Fitzgerald he's uh, a man who's spoken very bravely and very openly about bullying and uh, spoken out against bullying in the past so I guess a player suggesting and I'm not saying that Davey has bullied the player but a player suggesting that he was left isolated and humiliated within a panel I would say wouldn't sit too well with David Fitzgerald that, that this idea that he might have been involved in that yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a very, as you say, it would probably go to the core of, of David that, that, that a player would feel that he was treated in that way. At the same time, if you look at teams that David has been involved with over the years, there's absolutely no doubt that um, the demands and the, the when he talks about commitment, and even in the in the interview there, he talks about commitment being a, a very important word. And, you know, the demands that are asked of players in the David Fitzgerald panel are pretty intense. And... Um, you know, I would have spoken to players over the years who would have dealt with him and would have been very, very close to panels that he was involved in, and and they would have said, you know, you can only take it for so long, and it depends on your, it depends on your, I suppose, your mentality, your your outlook, your physical and mental kind of uh, ability, I suppose, to withstand the kind of the kind of commitment in inverted commas that's 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 demanded. No, David can turn around and go, well, look. You know, he got a Waterford team to an All Ireland final. You know, against against the curve, I suppose, back in 08, and he's already won an All Ireland with Clare. So, I mean, obviously, he gets results, and he's been very successful with college teams in McIT and that over the years as well. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said for his approach. But I do think that the 
and I, I know from also from, from speaking to people, I mean, a lot of their training sessions will be will be closed. I think I know I, I know people who've got in to see them, and they're they're they can be pretty pretty intensive affairs, you know. So uh, if if you're going in there, I suppose you have to, I suppose you have to accept in a way that there's that that you know what's going to be demanded of you is going to send you to the very, very brink, you know? The, yeah, I mean, the, the specifics of this one, um, as outlined certainly by Debbie O'Halloran, are that he, uh, himself and Nicky O'Connell, were caught out on a night out. It, it seems incredible, but this is the way, it's, it's not just the Claire setup that have these these sort of strict... Uh, codes in place, but he was caught out a couple of days ahead of a game that he wasn't going to be able to play anyway because he was injured. He wasn't drinking, so even the idea of being caught out seems a little bit odd uh, to me. I he have was, to say, he was outside of his house. I mean, in in the way that he's yeah. out. I mean, yeah, that, but I mean that's, not that's in, the extent of what we're talking n- about. N- not indoors. Uh, he, fine. He was. He took the punish. The, the, this punishment that he outlines, um, having to talk out separately from the team, not being allowed to talk to teammates, training alone in the in the corner of the field, having this fairly intensive uh, uh, training um, regimen. It seems though he might have been able to take that, but it seemed that himself and Nicky O'Connell say that they heard that another player was who was caught out drinking was treated in in a preferential manner. It seems to be that seems to be the crux of it. It's not just that. Uh, one guy feels he wasn't able to take a certain punishment. It was uh, in part anyway uh, his claim that he was being treated that way, maybe because he wasn't a central member of the panel. Yeah, and this is the thing. This is the thing about these disciplinary codes sometimes, and I put again in inverted commas these disciplinary codes and and issues around like drinking, socialising, being out in a boat. A lot of the time, and I know, of course, it depends on the manager. It depends on the panel. It depends on the the life. How successful this this team has been, so on and so forth. But a lot of the time, managers don't want to know if if they don't, they just don't want to hear like if if the disciplinary code has been breached. They don't if if somebody. I mean, I've heard. I mean, we are like you know, any any anybody kind of within proximity of GA teams has heard of players going away in mid season and just cutting loose quietly somewhere. And the last thing the manager wants to do is hear about it. Because, you know, number one, it might be the best thing they could possibly do is just get away from the whole scene just just to kind of live a little just even for a single night, you know. I mean I think back to excuse me, I think back to Kerry, I think I was two thousand and nine when 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 Tomas O'Shea and, and, and certainly Colin Cooper were, were caught out having a couple of points after uh, after a qualifier. Mm. And they were left on the bench for the first half, I think, of the next qualifier, which I think was against Antrim or Sligo. Sorry, no, it's, it's one or the other. But anyway, they came on later on in the game, I think, and that was sort of the punishment. I mean, that I mean, we forget that made the front of the of the, new, of the national newspapers at the time, you know. I mean, and you can be fairly sure that the management, the last thing they wanted to do was actually hear about that, you know, because it's probably the best thing those players could have done at that time. Kerry were under a fair bit of pressure and some of their senior players were under a lot of pressure to start performing because they weren't going well. And maybe the best thing in the world for them to do was they could just go out and just and just 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 have a bit of time to themselves and just 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 kind of get out of the bubble for a little while. So it's a very it's a very difficult thing. Now you go back again to the point you were making, I suppose, about about players being treated differently. Uh again you know, the last thing you want to hear is one of your and the, what the who the lads are talking about is a pivotal player. So we can probably that narrows it down to a small handful of Clare players. So I mean, Davy, the last thing Davy wants to hear is one of those guys is stepping out of line because, as he says himself, commitment is so important. If you're not committing, if number one is committing the same way as number thirty four is expected to, well then the whole thing collapses in on itself. Now we, you know, as it stands, because he's shutting down questions because he's not specifically denying things that the lads have 
have have have alleged happened. It's open to interpretation. He did seem to, to yeah. It, it does sound like he, he he is denying that there was preferential treatment. He's not denying that he punished these guys. Yeah, it, it does sound as though he's saying uh, it, I I punished them, but it was all by the book. Uh, and he seems to bristle a little bit at the idea that somebody else was treated differently. Yeah, which is that's fine. I mean, my issue, my issue more so because because they're they're being so vague with their denials. I mean, the the treatment that was meted out to the players. Who, who were deemed to have crossed the line seemed to me to be absolutely appalling if that did happen. Mm. Now, again, players, you know, at the start of any any season, pan, inter-county panels and, and, and teams in all codes, in all sports, kind of often sit down and kind of outline, OK, what we want to do this year, how we want to be, you know, what what constitutes a disciplinary code that we want to abide by. And, it, you know, that can drop teams together because they all have to live through this and they have to abide by it together and it's it, it, it can create a bit of spirit. But on on the flip side, if it's not handled right, and if it's, you know, if if you're signing up to that kind of stuff, I mean, I, I don't know where I I, I, don't, I really don't know where management get off actually um, imposing those kind of that that kind of punishment. I mean, that's damaging the people, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, as an, as All Ireland champions last year, Davy Fitzgerald seemed to be a little bit under pressure. Uh, when you look back to the championship, the Podge Collins stuff. I mean, you know, there was a degree of of pressure on Davy Fitzgerald as an All Ireland uh, defending manager last year that has since ratcheted up because of this, because of the three league defeats. Like, there's a, an element of discomfort. I'm, whatever about disgruntlement, certainly discomfort in Clare about how their team is thought of uh, and uh, of the job that Davy Fitzgerald is doing. Like a, a degree of. Uh, of uh, argument there about whether he's the right man to be managing the Clare hurling team when you consider the fact that he's won only they've only won four irons and he won one of them two years ago with basically this group of hurlers which is which is a strange position to be in given how much he has won for them in fairness yeah but it's ever thus in in counties with Clare's kind of profile I mean it was the exact same with Lockdown in the nineties you know I mean it was it was uh, you know he's no one's denying that this that, that both are great managers. There'd be plenty of people in both in in in, in County Clare during the Lochnan era, and also no, that would have issues with the way the team is being run. But it happens with counties that maybe don't have that that back that that kind of background of tradition. And that I mean, you look at Ulster football counties. Look at the amount of Ulster football counties that fell apart after winning an All Ireland in the nineties. You know, um, it's just it's one of those things that. You know, it's it's what I suppose it's what Pat Riley, the old the old uh, basketball coach, used to call the disease of me. Everybody wants a piece. Everyone everyone wants to be considered to be part of the success, and that all that all feeds into instability. The other thing you have as well is the fact that Clare have such an excellent generation of players and such a gifted group of players that more success is expected, and the players themselves will expect more success. And if it doesn't come quickly. Um, they'll get frustrated. They'll start wondering what are they doing wrong? What's the management doing wrong? They'll have people in their ears telling them exactly what's been done wrong. So it's it's a very difficult one, you know. It's a very difficult scenario to manage. And I wouldn't imagine. I mean, I, I take. I, I know why people are getting, you know, kind of concerned over three league, you know, three league defeats. But you know, really seriously, like, I mean, if 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 teams if teams like Clare with their pedigree and their potential are going to be get are going to be feeling pressure after three league defeats, well then they're screwed. I, I would very much doubt if the three if the if the defeats in the league are caught, are creating stress among them. The only the only stress they're going to be feeling is if they start coming towards the, the summertime and it's just they're not feeling it, if you know what I mean. If if the thing isn't coming together the way they want. I'm sure I mean that was a good I mean, set aside all the other stuff that was going on, that was a decent win 
on Saturday. I, I, I was up at the Cork Clare game a few weeks ago and they, they looked very heavy-legged to me. They looked like a crowd that were, you know, they, when they got their game going in, in phases, they looked very good, but they looked like a crowd who were kind of maybe doing a certain kind of training and just weren't at the pitch that they need to be to execute the way they play. Uh, at its absolute optimum. So I wouldn't be getting overly concerned about their prospects for the summer yet, but long term, certainly, you you know, you have that collision now of an expectant county, uh, a very expectant group of players, a very high achieving and a manager who's very, very, very driven. And, you know, the, the, room, the room for, I suppose, you're kind of looking around for a bit of a pressure valve. It's not kind of like a Kerry football or Cork hurling situation. If you lose the first round of the championship, you go into the qualifiers. You know the pressure stays, but you know how to ease off. You know you know how to handle the pressure. We're not so sure what happens if Clare was to lose first round in Munster. You're just not sure how they'd react. You right. know. Yeah, Michael. Listen, great stuff. Thanks, Million. No bother. Thanks. It's an interesting piece, Mike. Uh, interesting point, I should say, that Michael raised about things happening off the field that managers often maybe not wanting would not want to hear about. But once they're there, even the an interesting detail I thought Murph was that the the trainer who bumped into the lads didn't tell Davey straight away. They waited for the first couple of games to be finished with and for there to be a break before telling him. Mm. Uh, maybe maybe there's a, an argument there. Don't don't tell him at all, but I'm, I'm not... A breach of discipline. So egregious yeah. that they had to wait two weeks well, to the standard, the, the standard these GA players are held to is... Can, can I read you an, an, a yeah. headline from um, uh, The Mirror in Scotland from Thursday morning? Sure. Uh, Celtic captain Scott Brown pictured slumped on the street... After alleged drunken night out days before cup final. <laughs> uh, yeah. Brown had allegedly spent the night in the city's lap dancing bars before being pictured tucking into a pizza while sitting in the street. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, hang on. That's different. Sitting in the street. Sitting in the street. As opposed to slumped in, slumped in the street is a very different. Uh, well, I mean, he's, sitting there, he's waiting on a taxi. But he's on the ground. Well, I mean, where he's else not, is he going to sit? You're not going to sit anywhere. You're going to stand. And we, uh, I think Mer- I think Mer's point is that this is a slightly m- more uh, egregious breach of discipline than being spotted out well, in, a, he, in he, a pub not drinking. What? Uh, hang on. A few days before the cup final. Yeah. How many days? Four days. Four. So four days before the cup final. And Scott Brown like- goes out into town for a meal. How is that <laughs> into, an egregious breach Edinburgh. of discipline? Into Edinburgh. Into in, in, in comparison to Davy O'Halloran's breach of discipline, yeah. which seemed to involve... I mean, it's not like he's the, ca- like he's the captain of... Oh, well. Yeah. He is actually the captain of Celtic. But again, that's neither here nor there. Um, these The guys we're talking about, this is, two, this is two days before a game they're unfit to play in anyway, uh, and they're not drinking. And it's... Well, I mean, the amateur sport thing, I mean, you can bring it in if you like, but... This to me just seems yeah. Even regardless, even regardless of the amateur, the amateur sport is always the the factor lurking in the background. But even forgetting about that, if you take these guys as professional athletes, I still don't. They're not training for anything particular. They're not training at all. They're injured, and they're not. It's and it's a preseason tournament to all intents and purposes. They're representatives of their community. Yeah, they are that all right. (laughs) And it's a community that they've betrayed. And it's a community (laughs) that they're in. I mean, it's you know, they're caught out. Yeah, as uh, like as you're saying to Michael, like they're they're not drinking, you know, they're, like they're just in a pub with some people their their own age, you know, that's all they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I just it's outrageous. But yeah. anyway, hey, listen, listen on. Who am I? There'll be a lot of pub- people in the pub tomorrow, Ken. We'll probably be working, but there'll be a lot of people out and about for Paddy's Day. And I know you, uh, as I was, were knocking around Dublin city centre 
over mm. the weekend. Yes. It was, um, I don't know, it was busy, Ken. I'm going to say it was a, a hectic social scene at about 3 p.m. on Saturday. A lot of Americans, mostly. Yeah. I don't know if they're all staying around for five days right through Paddy's week or if they're just over for the weekend, but it was uh, it was lively, I would say. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was out of control. Um, you know, Dublin, I think maybe sometimes we need to take a step back and uh, ask ourselves what we've become. Although it did seem as though people were having a, a quite a good time, I suppose. I didn't stay in town that late on. Um, quite a good time. I, didn't I started notice. early yeah. and I finished early. There, there, there were, I heard snippets of conversations, um, quite amusing at times. Uh, one of them, a, a girl was, at, was telling her male companion to sober up. Just explain, you know when somebody is explaining really gravely, you need to sober up and you can just see the other person looking going, I've no idea what. No idea what you're talking about. It's not. It's not happening for me. This is at about three p.m. So I worried where their day was going. So everybody, just please be responsible over the next couple of days. If you're an American tourist over, you happen to be listening to us, you know, just uh, the, go the, take it handy. And everyone else, the pubs are still. They're going to also be open on Wednesday throughout next week, and indeed all the way right through till Good Friday, and then again all the way through till Christmas Day. So everyone just. Relax. It's also club final day, so people could take a load off and head to Croke Park for a couple they, of games. They could indeed, they could indeed. Uh, and it's kind of uh, crept very much under the radar, I think, in the sort of wider sporting context. But Henry Shefflin has a chance to do something absolutely amazing. And we'll probably hear what Henry Shefflin's uh, plans for this year are, the greatest hurler we've ever seen. Uh, he has a chance to win with uh, Bally Hale in the hurling. Um, and there is also Curfin uh, Slock Neal uh, in the football now, uh, as a Galway club footballer for the last uh, 10 years, well, former, now, <laughs> whatever, I've, I've been watching Curfin play absolutely brilliant stuff in Galway, roughly one year out of two, uh, and now they're stringing together. They're doing what people in Galway have said they probably should have been doing for the last 10 years, which is uh, qualifying and competing on a national stage uh, year in, year out. And I think they'll be... They, they should be too good for Sockneil. I would think that they're too good because I've seen them play a couple of times this year. They play an absolutely brilliant brand of football. Their game against Vincent in the semi-final was uh, kind of exactly what you would want from a football game. All of the skills on display. And uh, Curfin Ballyhale looks like a pretty good bet to me. Of course, Ken, you'll be at the Leinster Schools Cup final. Ross Gray to, to win, to complete a miraculous season. Um, who are they playing again? You know who they're playing, Ken. Uh, I, so. I can't really predict until I know who they're playing. Listen out to Ken's football show for his <laughs> prediction on who's going to win. It's a Belvedere, of course, Ken. Cool. Belvo. Belvo. I'm going to go with Belvedere. You think so, yeah? I think so. It's a fair prediction. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Old. Thanks for sticking with us for that riveting end of the podcast. And do this now for uh, Ken's football show, which will be out a little bit later on today. Take care. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.